Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? Have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. Big no-no! Big no-no! Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin, it's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever, under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Cause you won't be back. I'm getting another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back! Oh! You see, you push the laws and you end up dead. The Hounds of Horror, 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 Horror. friends and welcome to the hounds of horror the show where a 15 year old aspiring filmmaker who lives on the creek navigates capeside high school alongside his three best friends while suffering all the growing pains that these formative years have to offer i'm chris bryant and joining me as always is my friend and co-host the pacey to my dawson gabe ricard gabe how are you doing i'm fine i don't want to be pacey why wouldn't you want to be pacey I don't know. Can't I just be the the lonely janitor? Did did Dawson's Creek have a lonely janitor? No, it had Dawson and it had Pacey. And then effective season two, it had Jack and Andy. I didn't make it to season two. Well, well, sounds like a personal problem. It it was. I just wasn't. I You know, I should go back and watch all that stuff because I just wasn't feeling it when I was 13. I was too edgy for it. I really wish you would. Uh, also joining us this evening is the unofficial third hound, a man who is no stranger to the show. He's an actor, he's a director, he's an all-around great guy, but let's face it, he's no Sharon Stone. Please welcome to the show, Jacob Inman. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, who among us can be Sharon Stone? You know? Not even Sharon can be anymore. No, no. <laughs> I saw her on something not too long ago, and she was, uh, that show where um, Will Arnett pretends, Will Arnett's in a detective show, and right yeah and it's like half improv it's everybody knows what they're doing except the person who's the guest right and uh, she made far and away the most interesting choices with with what they gave her and she was great that's what was fun that's she was better than um she was better than improv comedian because there was a couple of improv comedians types or at least people with experience at improv like conan right. o'brien was in an episode but yeah no she um She's definitely in an interesting place, though. Yeah, she's, it's, it's wild how many times she's actually referenced in these damn Scream films, but... I'm surprised she's not, at this point, uh, someone hasn't, like, tried to reach out and get her for Scream 6. Because they're going to need all the help they can get if, if they're only got one fucking cast member coming back. Listen, yeah, they've already, like, that, that dog has chased its 
tale already with how many times they've like fucked up continuity with you with um fucking Dawson's Creek is actually like canon per Scream 5 because the killer from Scream 3 was a actor on Dawson's Creek but Joshua Jackson is in Scream 2 and David Schwimmer is Dewey in Stab but Courtney Cox oh, yeah. is it's it's a whole weird thing so I mean they've already you know you, you know what I learned you know what I learned was um the sheriff in Scream 2 is played was played by Louis Arquette he was oh yeah who, who would be David's dad right yeah I thought that was pretty cool it's a shame well, I mean couldn't... we can we'll get to the many merits of Scream 2 in a little bit we certainly I think will. I like it we'll get there in a minute we're talking about Scream one right now we are um, talking about scream one that's scream, right scream the first yeah scream yeah scream the first yeah no um and jacob it's a film that you've referenced several times when you've been on our show whether it was oh God, the cinema hounds <laughs> or the hounds of horror yeah you're a big fan so it came as no surprise to me that these were your picks to talk about when we had yeah. you on so i'm really excited to finally fucking shoot the shit on these films shut me up about this Um, well no i wouldn't go that far it's nice to have you back though we haven't recorded together in at least a year it's been a long time i've missed you guys it's like a nagging husband that you just fucking you're sick of him so you just fucking finally give him that hand job he's been asking for (laughs) that's 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 me in oral sex unenthusiastic that's a story for another time certainly is it certainly is it's not my birthday yet so no but that that's right listeners tonight's show we are talking about is the 1996 slasher film and pop culture phenomenon scream directed by wes craven and written by kevin williamson the film stars deep breath nev campbell david arquette courtney cox matthew lillard rose mcgowan skeet ulrich jamie kennedy henry winkler and drew barrymore and that is roughly only a third of the amount of cast members that are in the second one which we'll talk about later but it's a big cast it's a big cast, ambitious cast, a cast of people who, for the most part, um, with the exception of Drew Barrymore, were really up and comers at the time and who have yeah. all since gone on to do bigger and better things, I guess. I don't know. Skeet Ulrich is on Riverdale. Yeah. So there's Sometimes. that. Rose McGowan is a Republican, I think. So I don't know. She, um, Ro- Rose has gone down her own path and uh, we we wish her the best. <laughs> yeah, we, we certainly do. I, I, yeah, I, I guess. I, guess. Uh, I, can't, I can't say that I blame Rose for being insane now you know oh for everything that woman has been through like there's i have to be a little you have to be a little sympathetic like uh, you know between between being married she married marilyn manson right Mm -hmm. she went yeah she went from marilyn manson to robert rodriguez so you know that tells you all you need to know about she broke up a marriage in the rodriguez household if i if i recall my celebrity tabloid gossip it's entirely possible i'm pretty sure he left his his wife for rose um and then she was going to do Red Sonia, and then that didn't happen. And here we are. Here we are. Here we, here are. we are today. But thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, we're not talking about Red Sonia <laughs> or any of other of uh, Rose McGowan's other exploits. We are talking about Scream. Uh, the film follows high school student Sydney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell or Neve Campbell. I've heard it both ways. I've always pronounced it Nev. Those people are wrong. Right. Neve, yeah. Anybody who says Neve Campbell, you. You are actually allowed to slap them yeah. with full immunity. I certainly do. are. And and among those cast members that I that I mentioned, we also have to, even though he only is limited to um, you know passing on screen televised cameos, but Liev Sh- uh, Schreiber is Cotton Weary, one of his earlier breakout roles. Yeah, 
And he's probably, of everybody in that movie, in this movie, he's probably the one with the best the most career. career. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know, I don't, Jamie Kennedy did the Jamie Kennedy experiment, so. Yeah, yeah and that was, uh, that, was like, what, and, that was like a year ago, so. Yeah, I'm obviously kidding, but. Continues, I know. Yeah, continues to keep everyone on his lips. <laughs> But yeah, the film follows uh, Nev Campbell as Sydney and her uh, group of friends in the fictional town of Woodsboro, California. They become targets of a mysterious killer in a Halloween costume known as Ghostface. I don't think he's ever referred to in the film as Ghostface. I think that was something that was kind of anointed to him afterwards. But I, yeah, I don't. I don't. I. I'm. They might have. Did they, Jacob? Jacob, did they call it? Did they call the stab killer Ghostface? Well, uh, no, it, it it comes from this movie. Um, it's it's, but it, it doesn't really make sense canonically because it happens during uh, Rose McGowan Tatum's death scene. She says, "Please oh, don't kill right. me, Mister Ghostface." That is right. That is one hundred percent correct. Any anyone that would have been privy to that exchange is, of course, dead by the movie. Uh, by the end of the movie, oh, so it's it's, it's not a great explanation, but that is the first instance. That is the first Maybe she wrote it in her diary. Yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, that's a reoccurring trend in this whole franchise because in the beginning of Scream 2, when they're overgoing, when they're going through Stab, and I feel like we can touch on that in the Scream 1 episode since the Stab sequence at the beginning of Scream 2 is a direct relay of what happened with Drew Barrymore scene at the beginning of Scream 2. But there's like dialogue lifted directly from the opening sequence of Scream in the film Stab, and there would be no fucking way they would have known any of that. That, but well gail weathers is an intuitive writer let's not throw bones at scream 2 <laughs> we won't we will we will not i definitely won't throw bones at scream 2 i will i will throw my bones at courtney cox brother i'll tell you that much but um uh, <laughs> <laughs> she looks good. She looks She's great. Good. Yeah, she looks great. She's always look great. So this film, though, it's considered to be like the the be all end all meta commentary on the slasher genre and all of its tropes for better or for worse because it features characters who are aware of like the real world horror films that they are openly discussing in the film and the the cliches that the, the film attempts to subvert. The film did overwhelmingly receive positive reviews and a ton of financial success. It had earned a hundred and seventy three million dollars worldwide at the time becoming the highest grossing slasher film and it would remain the highest grossing slasher film until the release of the 2018 halloween reboot and you know what's wild about that too is most of the money scream made was in 97 scream scream made a lot of its money in 97 which was the same year scream 2 came out it was and that is uh that is a level of theatrical success that is almost unparalleled in horror in in movies period and it, I mean, in addition to making uh, several careers at once, now a lot of these people had worked to tell were coming up in television. Neff Campbell had been on TV for a couple of years; people knew who she was. But it, in addition to everybody's careers, it, it acting careers, it also kind of resurrected is a strong way to put it. But I don't know where Wes Craven's career might have gone had Scream not happened, because at that point he had just come off of New Nightmare, which was not successful. No, uh, critically it was, financially it wasn't. So he was kind of in a weird spot, and uh, I, I dare say that set the rest of his career up. It did, yeah. It it saved. It, it did really save his career not just the career, his career, man, but I know I said, it, I, I bet, 
touched on it briefly, but the, just the slasher, and maybe even the entirety of the horror genre at large by that point, because you know you go back and you look, it's the mid nineties. Yeah, slasher films are nearly dead. We've got films like Jason Goes to Hell, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, and Candyman Two, shit like that, doing all they can to try to keep the genre alive in what felt like the the final wind for a franchise that was swimming against a current, and then you know fucking ready to drown. And then out comes this life raft that is Scream. And before you know it, we had a decade that was pretty much limp dick in terms of horror films. Before you yeah. know it, um, the theaters are flooded with movies like Scream 2, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Urban Legend, The Faculty, Final Destination, Disturbing Behavior, Bride of these written by Kevin fucking Williamson? <laughs> Halloween H2O, written by Kevin Williamson. Like these are a lot of like the greatest Halloween sequel. That's incorrect, but we'll we'll talk about that later. We will talk about that later. But Scream resurrected Chucky and Michael Myers. If you really it think did. about it, go back and look at 1995 because I did that today before uh, before the show. Um, I went back and I looked at the calendar year for 1995 for horror. And pretty pretty bleak. Was not good. It, there's some good stuff in there to be sure. There's Demon Knight. Uh, Echo Echo Ezerak was was a solid movie um but yeah bleak bleak would be the word very few slashers halloween the curse of michael myers have come out that year and that did not do well um it was it was i you know horror endures and it would have with or without scream it would have found a way to keep going but where that would have gone i have no idea because by 1995 public interest in in the whole genre was was at a standstill well, yeah, and and i'd like to say too it's it it didn't just um sort of you know resuscitate horror in america it it really made it accessible to a whole new generation of fans which is where my relationship with scream started was it, it really indoctrinated me into more adult horror fare certainly i was a child of the 80s so i you get primed for scary shit when you grow up on return to oz and the witches you know but right. um something like scream which was such a phenomenon um, and really hip and appealing to the youth, you know? Um, I think that it did usher in a whole new generation of horror fans. Yeah, yeah. It, it did. It did. It really did. Um, like it, and they, it didn't look back for the rest of the decade. Right. And, and like I, you know, for, for now, I think it's cool to look at it in like the, the meta textual way of like, you know, all of the different slashers that it um, sends up or pays homage to. Um, but it's also at the time it was a cool, like um, almost like an almanac of like, okay, I need to see that. I need to see that. Oh, that sounds cool. You know, and like one of, one of the closest things it, that came to that kind of thing was New Nightmare. It, it was Wes Craven was the perfect guy. I, I've got to just suck this guy's dick all night because he's one of my top five. <laughs> yeah, but, and and I miss I miss him all the time as a fan. But um, it's really interesting that he got Scream because he had tried a lot of that same kind of meta commentary two years prior with with New Nightmare, did, and yeah. it didn't quite click for people um i guess because it's not quite as much fun scream is at the end of the day no matter what scream is fun i had the opportunity to see it in theaters um fuck last halloween yeah it'd have to be last Halloween. so i saw it last year in a fairly packed theater i gotta say um and and the it's still a blast to people yeah um, it's, it's still a blast to me you know yeah 
And, it's and fun. It's a fun no, movie. No slide on New Nightmare, which I do think is like honestly a, a really really cool concept. But you know, it's 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 a later Nightmare on Elm Street sequel, whereas Scream is something fresh and new. Yeah. It's got this yeah. cat. It's got this cast that appeals to the youth. So I, you know, I I think that just in terms of like what what's going to catch an audience's attention, you know, that gives Scream the advantage. Um, oh yeah, Scream, totally. Scream might be the first horror movie of the decade to actually like really tap into that and i hate to say it because it sounds like such a like a fucking buzzword but that mtv energy yes um i don't think any horror movie at that decade up to that point i mean obviously uh that kind of you know that mtv energy and and attention had been on horror in the past but nothing quite like nothing had quite without being like on the nose about it had quite captured that kind of thing that kids would go see and up to that point in the decade there really wasn't a horror movie for a wider group of kids not just horror fans but other people to call their own no that's that's the thing is like the you know the the poppiness and the the fresh cast of this makes it accessible i also think that the the way that they deal with this being a slasher movie the the way that the gore is handled it's it's shocking but it's never so excessive as, as you know some of the most um kind of uh, notorious slasher movies it, it remains something that I think it's it's not going to be too much to turn off people that are sort of discovering this kind of thing for the first time, you know? It, it, it hit a rare, happy middle medium because horror fans, for the most part, loved it. And it uh, mainstream critics liked it. Um, people, just people who didn't watch a lot of horror, loved it. No matter how much you may or may not like Scream, and I'm, I'm probably the least fan of this series of anybody in this conversation. I like Scream 1 a lot. I like the second one fine. And then after that, I get a little cranky. Um, although Scream Four was 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 pretty solid, and, and I, I I liked Scream Four quite a bit. I know you did, and it's 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 it, it's good. It's 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 kind of a live free or die hard thing, where it's no. like ah fuck again, but you still have fun. I think I think Scream Four is is the last great Wes Craven movie, but um, well, it's the literal last Wes Craven movie. It is. Yeah. But he had a few before that, that kind of, yeah, they were hit or miss. Right. You know, I didn't care for scream three and don't mean to break your heart. Jacob, don't hate cry me. I didn't really care for scream five too much. You know, I, I think it's very flawed. It had, it has some seeds of potential and it was a nice moment to have going back to the theaters to go to scream. Although I, I felt a bit old meeting a new group of teenagers around the water fountain at the right. high school. It's like, oh, you know, I'm in yeah. my 30s now, huh? Right. <laughs> yeah, can't, can't just, like, strike up a conversation. I had, I've had i had to learn that the hard way. How do you do, fellow kids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... God damn it. I know. It sucks. And we can we can pick apart the Scream fa- uh, franchise in its entirety. Yeah, we're not here when, to do that tonight. When we, when we talk about Scream 2, which is a film that I feel like, you know, discussing sequels is necessary because that's part of its whole thing. But, you know, regarding regarding Scream 1, um, to, to kind of circle back to the comparison to, to New Nightmare, you know, I think the reason why Scream is more accessible than New Nightmare was, not just because of the great point that Jacob made where New Nightmare was the last in a long-running franchise where Scream was the start of something fresh and new. All of that meta uh, commentary in New Nightmare, for the most of it, I, I mean, a lot of it's about the, the horror genre as a whole, but the majority of it 
is exclusive to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. So where if you're not a, a hardcore Nightmare fan, some of that stuff might not land with you the same way as Scream does, where it's all encompassing. You know, that scene, that opening scene where uh, Casey's on the phone with the killer and she's answering the horror movie trivia like that felt like something an event that like you were part of when you were watching that you were for the first time you were answering those questions and sure. you were like no no it wasn't jason it was fucking pamela Voorhees. like it was all st- like it, you know they make references yeah, your to heart it. sinks i remember because right. i couldn't see it in theaters i had to wait for it to come out of video so that was mm-hmm. hell but <laughs> i got it, i i i i i Found out the day it was coming to the convenience store that was renting it because we didn't have a video store. Mm-hmm. I I got it. I went home and I that opening scene just knocked ten year old, eleven year old me on my ass. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there when she's doing the trivia and she gets to that Friday the Thirteenth question and she goes, Jason, Jason Voorhees, and I went, No, <laughs> fuck! And it's like, Oh shit, Drew Barrymore's gonna fucking die, guys. Right? It, it's terrifying, and and you know, I I think um I I hear a lot of uh really devoted slasher fans that like aren't as as big as Scream fans are sometimes maybe let down by like the less of a, an emphasis on like the gore and the kills than you see in some franchises, even though I think they do really well for my taste. But the way that they use suspense and tension is just white knuckled, especially in it's this great. in that Drew Barrymore sequence. It's yeah, it's it's like harrowing. And even though you you kind of have to start the movie from scratch after that sequence, you you, have, you start all over again. But you're not going to go anywhere. You know, you, you have to see exactly what the hell this is going to be. It's a testament to the movie that it 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 doesn't lose any momentum after one of the most. And you have to remember, like, it's hard to it's hard to appreciate now the novelty. It's it's because the last time somebody had killed off the big star right at the near the beginning of the movie. Um, and I'm probably wrong. Somebody's probably going to be like, no, there was a movie in 1980 that did this. Right. Um, Psycho. And 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 Scream and, and Scream is such a great evolution of of the slasher genre in so many ways. And, and, and it, it, it tops a lot of our expectations of what we expect in a slasher movie and it starts right at the beginning with that right at the beginning by killing off the biggest star in the movie in the first what 15 10 minutes it's 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 not even 15 it's like nine or ten minutes it's not even it's not a long scene it just it feels so almost laborious to get through it because of how broad it is uh, but it's not long and this is the woman who was front and center on the poster yep but you know since we are our since we're talking about the beginning of the film let's do what i like to do let's run through the in, the plot of the film in its entirety and pick it apart as we go um as we've already mentioned the film starts out with uh drew barrymore's character casey She's home alone. She's cooking up some Jiffy Pop. She gets a phone call from an unknown person. Seemingly a wrong number at first. But since this was written by Kevin Williamson, it turns into <laughs> some saucy dialogue between the two. And then they start to discuss the horror films as we talked about. The killer or the caller, he's not the killer yet. The caller's demeanor kind of turns at the drop of a dime. And then he starts threatening her life. And he realizes that her boyfriend, Steve, it's a great is. Flip. Yeah. Her boyfriend, Steve, is bound and gagged outside on the patio and not in the fun way. And, you know, it's a, you hear that a lot uh, that Drew Barrymore 
was the first person who was killed in the Scream franchise. I think people forget about Steve, the boyfriend, uh, who was tied up outside. People really do forget about Steve. Steve. Um, Even the movies, I think. (laughs) The movies kind of forget about Steve, too, a little bit, honestly. They do. They could really throw people for a loop, though, if somebody just showed up and went, yeah, I'm Steve's Steve's little brother, and I've been fucking waiting for this day. Yeah. 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 Why doesn't they, anyone give a shit about Steve? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because even in the, the sequel, when they're going through the whole, oh, he's targeting the names of the victims from the original Woodsboro murders. Oh, that like was... Steve, Steve isn't even mentioned once. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. It's all right. Steve, Steve was a date rapist and super racist. I, I, have <laughs> a, I have it on good authority. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was wearing a Letterman jacket, wasn't he? So, yeah, he was. So he almost was certainly racist. Right. Uh, So she answers the trivia quiz about horror films. Steve's life is on the line. And as we already mentioned, she incorrectly names Jason as the killer the first Friday the 13th. And as a result, Steve is murdered right in front of her. Uh, Casey tries to escape, but she's chased down and then stabbed and brutally murdered by the killer that we now see for the first time. Gets Gets her over that fucking tree branch. Faster than I've ever seen. Yeah, pretty fast. Pretty fast, yeah. And then their parents come out and they find her disemboweled corpse hanging from the tree. And Wes Craven does this a lot in a lot of his films. Wes Craven isn't afraid. Like, you never see the parents and how the parents react and deal with the fallout of their children being killed in these movies. You saw it in Nightmare on Elm Street. You see it here. The the mother lets out that horrifying shriek and the father's, like, trying to comfort, you know, like, uh, you know, shield her shield her from it very very powerful shit right there Wes, Wes was, he was really good at remind Wes Craven was really good at reminding us that 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 you know this is still a horror movie and some dark shit dark shit's gonna go down no and and those actors um they're typically unsung David Booth and Carla Hatley but they they really do a large part in making that scene hit you yeah. as hard as it does yeah. both for, for Drew's performance at the moment that she's trying to call out to her mother and can't be heard that's that's a punch to the audience and then her parents, the her mom saying Sydney baby. Yeah. Casey, um, Casey, baby. Casey, sorry. Yes. Casey. Other slasher films treat the, these teenage victims like they're actually the 32 year old actors who are portraying them. Right. And Wes Craven is aware that in, in universe, like these are children and it's a rare horror movie where it, and that's a, ta- that's a, that is a Wes Craven touch. You're right. Um, kids are actually kids in the, in, in, in his best movies. Like, same thing in Nightmare on Elm Street, um, The People Under the Stairs, which dealt with children, the New Nightmare. Um, he, he was really good at directing youthful people uh, uh, naturally, to be natural. Yeah, he was damn good at it, man. He was. They don't call him the fucking master for no reason. But um, I know, I know, and, and it's not just Wes Craven who made this movie amazing. Uh, but it's it's hard not to focus on him sometimes. It, it is hard not to focus on him because you do see his signature style in a lot of ways. And you know, later in the film, it's really kind of cool to see Wes Craven directing a scene with John Carpenter's music playing over it while David yeah. Arquette like storming the house. Like that was, you know, that's shit like that. That's, like really it's so cool. That and whole his sequence cameo. is so fucking cool. Yeah, and his cameo is great oh yeah no not you fred (laughs) (laughs) so uh so casey dies she's murdered r.i.p casey then we meet sydney sydney is the always adorable nev campbell i think this she's peak nev campbell in this film Uh, like this is party of five nev campbell 
You know what I mean? And she's just right. the cutest. And she's struggling with the anniversary of her mother, Maureen's rape and murder. News reporter Gail Weathers, played by the sexiest Karen of all time by way of <laughs> Courtney Cox. She arrives. Sydney, rightfully so, dislikes Gail. Gail was the one responsible for spreading all these rumors and conspiracy theories about Maureen's death, insinuating that Cotton Weary was set up, it was a frame job, and that the guy who had been convicted of Maureen's murder was not at all responsible for the killing. And Sydney hates her for this, but little does Sydney know, you know, Gail was on the phone fucking money as we would later find out in the film but in the uh in the evening while waiting for her best friend tatum to arrive sydney gets a uh, a phone call and is attacked by the killer this is a little bit later on in the film while trying to exit the front door this is something that's funny to me because earlier in the film sydney is talking to billy about how the the big tittied bimbos and slasher films always run up the stairs instead of out the front door so when Ghostface attacks Sydney and chases her. She all of a sudden forgets how fucking chain locks work. And in the two seconds it would have taken for her to unlock the door, she ends up running up the stairs. I buy that there was no time for her to get it undone. Like that that knife like hits the chain lock kind of right as she's reaching for it. So I, I, it, it works is, for me. It, is, it works for me too. And of course she she, she, she could have juked and jived a little bit. She, <laughs> <laughs> she, but I, she does make that point though, where she says, um she, the first time she She's on the phone with uh, with with Ghostface, or with um, I guess Billy. Um, she she makes that comment about how it's always you know some big breasted actress running up the like she like like even she knows the tropes. So yeah, it's well, fun, I think it's what's fun. funny. I think what's funny about that. Sorry to cut you off, Gabe. Is no, that no, she no. actually says it to Billy, um, not as Ghostface, but as Billy. If I'm if I'm not mistaken when he climbs into her window and he's talking about how you know their their uh their story used to be r-rated on the verge of nc-17 and now it's edited for by the way some peak fucking kevin williamson dawson's creek dialogue that no teenager in the history of ever <laughs> would utter these phrases but i bet when i was 12 though i bought it i was like so that's how i'll sound in four years <laughs> was that was that was did that did that work out for you as far as I know. I, yeah, I that's my thing, too. I'm like, if I remember correctly, I was very cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I used to watch. I used to, when I was in high school, I used to watch Dawson's Creek and get mad that the, the kids I went to school with didn't have that same fucking dialogue. Yeah. It was like, I want to have these conversations. I want to, you know, talk like a fucking scholar. Yeah, come on, gang. Where's the repartee? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, so she she runs from I'm trying to remember where where I left off here. So oh, she's she, fleeing Ghostface. She's fleeing Ghostface. That's right. She forgets how chain locks work, but you guys are more forgiving of it than I am. Yeah, Gabe and I contest that. Right. Yeah. Billy Billy emerges from the window out of breath, which is red flag 1. Uh, red flag two Eddie is Ski, that any skied Ulrich. That's that's red flag number two. Yeah, I guess that's fair enough. He was yeah, he was skied Ulrich. He he was not Johnny Depp. Uh, red flag three uh, is that he drops his cell phone because it's the year 1996, and as the interrogating officer would later ask Billy, "What are you doing with the cellular telephone, son?" In the year 1996, uh, <laughs> after I uh, being really excited to, to to have a cell phone, I thought. God, that would be the best. You could just like you could talk to somebody wherever you are. Wow. Uh, yeah. 
19, yeah. uh, 2004 was when I had my first one, and I was actually marveling at how modern the flip phones in this movie looked because my recollection of cell phones in the 90s were that, those fucking Zach Morris brick phones. Yeah, yeah exactly. Probably, yeah. probably dangerously fucking. No, that, that, right. one that, uh, that one that uh, Gail fucking clubs Randy in the face with later in the movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that scene. She just can't hit Randy in the face enough times. And, and funny, funny enough, that scene was um, – not in the script. Ski Ulrich actually threw the phone at him, hit him, and um, completely caught him off guard. And Wes Craven just thought it was like the funniest thing, and that reaction was so genuine that he made he included it in the phone in the in the film. Good call. And and that, and that's an, that's a, yeah. He everybody in that movie, everybody involved on the creative end of that movie has a great sense of humor. Like, oh, and that's really one of the secrets of Scream. I think. Yeah, it's it's yeah, just yeah. it's just so easy to watch like it's it, it can give you a little laugh yeah. with the scares but. and you would see that in a lot of these slasher films of the late 90s and early 2000s that that kind of took screams lead where they would try to incorporate humor but in, in many cases they kind of missed the mark and that screams humor is more subtle it's passing moments it's not a joke that lingers on for for too long they no, I agree with you. I think they, I think that I think that ran out by the third one. But often it's it's so not right. even a joke so much as just a, a really great performance, kind of catching right. fire, you know, and it becomes funny. Yeah, there's right. something, and horror is such an interesting genre for that. You know, like we watch horror and we watch stuff like Scream, and we can see somebody being saying the most hideous things and doing the most hideous acts. And sometimes it affects you in, in, you know, in a, in a more harrowing way, but I've had reactions to horror movies. And I think this is why people cheer when someone gets killed sometimes is because it's just also masterfully done and done with such high energy and enthusiasm that you can't, can't help but get caught up in it. It's, it's yeah. Scream is uh, it's, it's impossible to not like, Again, I'm not a huge fan of this series. I'm really not, but I watched it. I I I went to see it in theaters just so I could say I finally had that experience. And and I had a blast and I was really glad I went. And it's it's funny like that. It's just so damned likable. It's very likable, man. There's a lot of endearing stuff about the film. You know, I think about one of the things I I that I affectionately think about when i when i call back to this movie i think about the the blossoming romance between gail and and dewey i just think it's one of the cutest things in the movie at one point he mentions he's 25 and she replies that she tests the highest with the 18 to 24 demographic and that she must have just missed him which is this cute little funny line but then afterwards he's walking away he says he loves her work and she says so you have seen the show to which he replies i was 24 for a whole year and it's just stuff like that that is like funny but like not intended to be like you know yeah like super slapstick or like take away from like it's a really endearing scene that like sets these two up and and there's such a there's such a unique for the slasher genre dynamic going on with these characters because they're you know they're they're given time to sort of develop and the way that i read the gail and dewey story in this is that it definitely starts out as kind of you know a little bit of an intrigue plot on gail weather's part um, right just finding an end to this story. But, you know, you know, she ends up being a little bit more charmed by the Storky cop than she thought. And then we go on to see that relationship develop, I think. Does, doesn't hurt really. that the actual Courtney Cox was, was also charmed by this dorky guy. <laughs> right, right. 
Um, not for nothing, man. David Arquette's a a, a charming guy. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. I don't. (laughs) I say dorky with the greatest love and respect. I love David Arquette. I I always have. I think he got a raw deal with Ready to Rumble. (laughs) Um, I do. I do. I've always liked him. He got a WCW World Championship out of that film, buddy. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He sure <laughs> you, know did. I, you know what I think is interesting is um, when Dewey was written, they were Kevin Williamson was imagining way more of like a, a beefcake kind of classic himbo. Um, but then David Arquette came in, you know, this kind of like scrawny looking guy. Um, still good looking, you know, but I wouldn't I don't think anyone would call him a beefcake. Um, no. And won the part. And how often do you kind of hear about them going less traditionally hot because the actor just has this great take, you know? Right. Yeah. And at that point, he hadn't done a, a lot, a lot. I think uh, the only thing I can, I for, definitely know he'd done before Scream, I'm sure he was in other stuff and I'm just not, it's not occurring to me, was uh, Airheads. Oh, he was in Airheads. Yeah, he was. Okay, he wow. was one of the. He was. He was one of the employees at the radio station. I don't think I've seen that like since it came to to video. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, it's been it's, many years, man. But I that's a great fucking movie. I watch it every couple of years. I fucking love that movie. It's great, man. It's great. Um, before I before I lose it, I I just you know need to pin a, a, another ribbon onto the movie real quick because. I think something that that also really makes it stand out is, you know, it has this iconic final girl, but it's it's not only her movie. You do have Gail and Dewey and even some of the, the characters um, like Tatum are, are so likable. But, uh-huh. but we're given, ch- like, you know, how tempting and would it be to kill Gail Weathers in this movie? Like she, you know, she deserves it by slasher movie standards. She's this kind of awful woman so much of the time, but she's actually given the chance to grow and develop and become so interesting. And that I feel like is really unique in this genre. Do you think that that's a testament to the character or do you think that's a reflection on Courtney Cox and friends being the biggest show on TV at the time? Well, I, I mean, the show was, I don't think the real quick, I don't think, I think the show was just starting to take off at that point. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that keeping her star in the, the franchise was a boon for them. But also I, I don't know if um I don't know if there's a draft of the script where Gail Weathers was killed or if, you know, this was always the plan regardless of who was going to play her. So it's hard to say because my understanding is that Kevin Williamson had actually written this script several years before the film was even made. I was watching uh I was watching something on YouTube about the film, like a behind the scenes of and he had he he was writing this he had conceptualized this film as early as nineteen ninety two. He so, wrote it in college, right? If I'm not mistaken, yeah. He it was he was he was a very young man when he initially wrote it because he was a big slasher film fan and he kind of saw the direction that slasher films were going in. So who's to say, you know, this this film could have gone through so many different revisions and rewrites, but um I am very happy with the end result because we do have to 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 your point jacob you know it's not just a final girl like it's a final squad like sydney survives dewey survives gail survives much to much to my dismay randy survives Uh, let's talk about randy let's talk about about randy let's talk about how we all narrowly avoided (laughs) becoming randy yeah Yeah. well that's the thing is you know i i think that randy was a really smart character to have in this movie oh absolutely and, and jamie kennedy uh, we're gonna shit on randy a lot yeah but but as you should but i will say the character is very well written jamie kennedy does an exemplary job and contributes significantly 
to the energy and appeal of the movie. He's he is an obnoxious know-it-all high school movie buff boy, you know, um, and and that's something that a lot of fans of the series latched onto. Um, I think some maybe I thought Randy was cool when I was twelve. I'll tell yeah, you, and, I, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then I think you know a lot of us get a little older and kind of like oh maybe some, uh, some not so likable tendencies. Um, temper and, that a little bit, you know. Right. I'll I'll just say this much <laughs> about Randy: he is a lot more tolerable. And endearing in the first scream than he is in the second one, and that's yes. all I'm going to say until we get to the second one. <laughs> yes, and then we'll have some really juicy things to talk about. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. No, I, yeah, you're right though. Both of you, I think, made this point just now that he was he was the avatar for the horror fan watching this. He was supposed to be reflective of the you know the fan of slasher films who's going into this movie. The one who answers all of Ghostface's trivia questions correctly in the opening in the opening scene, and I think for a lot of people they like that. But then for someone like me, who if I read a Facebook post that I made twelve years ago, I cringe at the fucking person I used to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's what I get from Randy. And and pivotally in in the first Scream movie, Randy is not a main character. He is solidly. No. He's one of the the smaller supporting characters, um, right. but you know, obviously his his popularity caught on, so he's gonna come back for Scream Two, and he did have a beefed up presence, and you know, had sort of graduated into being one of the main gang by then. But I also think that Scream Two was a smart movie that knew that Randy is best in small doses as well. So, and to be uh, fair, Randy was with I think Randy was hanging out with them outside and at. Because there's that great scene, because after the scene with with, with um, Sydney and Billy, we go to the school, and there's that whole thing where everybody's sitting around outside talking yeah. about, right? We, we meet the gang. Right, we meet the gang. And I, I'm pretty sure Randy's there, right? Am yeah, yeah. It's okay. uh, Randy, Billy, Stu, Tatum, and Sydney are the... the- and it's... The kind of core five, but Randy is definitely the orbiter, you know. And, and great, great dialogue. Very quickly, I just want to say, I love that scene. It sets up our characters. It creates sus- potential suspects. It moves the narrative along, but it also creates, it gets us started with these characters. And it's just a beautifully written, beautifully shot scene. It really is. No, you're right. I agree 100%. It's just not clear to me the relationship dynamic of Randy and where he falls in line with this group of friends because Billy and Stu clearly do not like him. I feel like they kind of make that clear in that scene where they're at the video store. Tatum probably wouldn't be caught dead hanging out with Randy. So I guess he's just Sydney's friend who she keeps around. I, that was always that was always my assumption. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, this they might have also just been kissing up. To, they might have also just kept him around for free videos. Well, there and, you go. <laughs> and, and, and and we kind of love this group of characters, you know. Um, but they're not um, in in that in that first scene around the the water fountain. They're all kind of revealed to be kind of like callous, desensitized. Um, you know, saying not very nice things about some of yeah. their classmates that were killed the night before. Yeah. Right. And, and and I, you know, I remember that high school experience of like, sometimes like to us, it looks like a friend group, but sometimes it's just sort of the people you're sitting around with talking, you know, I don't think necessarily these five were rolling around every weekend together, like the group. And I know what you did last summer. Right. Um, That's true. That's a good point. And even watching the, the movie, knowing how it, you know, 
having watched it, having already seen the film, watching it again, and you know how it's going to end, and you know that Billy and Stu are the killers, even if you you didn't know that, like it's like there's no possible way that they're not the fucking killers, considering how callous they are in that circle. I mean, you have Stu who is like laughing his ass off when the ghost face guy runs down the halls and scares Sydney. You have Billy who says, "Ever since your mom died, you've been a bitch." It's like if these guys aren't the killers, then they need to die. But right. you watch it back already knowing, and it's like. You know, you probably could have made these characters a little bit more, a little bit more sympathetic, a little bit more endearing, and then it wouldn't be such a big. I think why Billy might have shocked people that he was the killer was simply because the movie sets tries to it makes it obvious that he's the killer, so obvious that you're like, there's no way it's him, right? And then it gives you just enough contradictions that you're like, well, yeah, it can't be him. He's just. He's like the big red herring, you know? Right. Like the shit that he says and does is so vile that it can't possibly be him. But alas, it is him. And touching in, on the in, Randy. In hindsight, that scene with that Randy at the video store should have just immediately. Like, like, like that, that's that, that, cause that was the scene I always could never quite let go of. Right. The first time I saw it, I was like, I don't know though. Like, even as the movie goes on and I'm like, okay, well, it's, it's, it's not Billy, but for Christ's sakes, what was that shit at the video store about? Right. I, I think that that scene is Wes Craven giving you one chance to figure it out and say, <laughs> is, is, it, is it both of those? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, like, I like the phrase. It's Wes Craven giving you one chance. I like that. I like. I, that's. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Because it's 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 this moment that you see them get Randy between them, and it's like a magnet. Those two lock up. Stu's eyes are locked on Billy, and he's excited. He yeah. grabs. So they right? They parked. I I think that there's definitely the yeah some shit going on with those two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> I actually, yeah, it's funny. I saw a, a review on um, not long ago for this film on Letterboxd where somebody had said that these two were definitely fucking, right? Like, there is like, you can't change my mind and convince me otherwise. So that's funny that you bring it up. I also saw another thing on Letterboxd where the guy, the, the person reviewing the film was like, look, thanks to all these women on Tumblr, I already knew that fucking Steve Ulrich was the killer from all these gifts of him covered in blood. But, but when it turned out that fucking Shaggy was the other killer, it fucked me upside the head. I did not see that coming. <laughs> it was a great twist is a strong word for it, but um, I guess it's, it's a twist. But I think, I think that having two killers is a twist maybe not necessarily yeah. the identity of the killers but the fact that there's two of them that that qualified as a twist at the time let me ask you guys both this and it's probably impossible for you to reach this far back and try to remember this but when you were watching this film for the first time for the very first time if you can't recall that's fine who did you think was going to be the killer i honestly was i i, I was so unseasoned as a horror fan this was this was the the first one for me um so i literally my mind was just a blank rush of terror and suspense for the whole thing i i i, I the movie led me around by the nose you know yeah. um so at, and there were moments like particularly toward the end where i had no idea and like all i was just running like sydney you know <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. I thought it was. I thought it was great. That I remember having. Yeah, Gabe. Gabe, I did too. Uh, yeah. My brother and I, when we were watching it uh, for the first time, right up until the scene at the party where the killer's behind Randy, I was fucking convinced it was Randy. I was so sure it was Randy. And touching on that scene, you know, this is a film that's filled with a lot of like really neat meta references and shit like this. But this one was one of the funnest for me because you have that scene where uh, Jamie. Uh, Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Kennedy is watching Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. He's watching Michael Myers approach her from behind while Ghostface is coming up from behind Jamie Kennedy. And Jamie Kennedy is saying, Jamie, the killer's behind you. Turn around. Jamie, turn around. And I just thought that, I I don't know. That's something so silly to me. Yeah. There's so many great little things in that. And again, like we forget it's, and it's funny that that Halloween's in that scene too, because that's another movie that's so, that was so um, groundbreaking breaking is i guess the word i would use but um i know halloween borrowed from other stuff but the execution of halloween was was unlike anything a lot of people had seen at the time and that's also true of scream and to the point where we you can watch the movie now if you show it to somebody now they're going to be like oh yeah well this is the part where this happens and right of course they're going to do that because that's what movies do um we are fucking drowning in meta commentary now yeah right um it's obnoxious and i don't care for it <laughs> um, i don't i'm really fucking tired of it no but, I, I completely see what you're saying gabe but at, at this time like you know we're coming off of the 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 one two three punch of jason goes to hell west craven's new nightmare and then scream so like the meta is like really starting like those three films really set the tone for yep. all that shit we see today but and and halloween um oh for christ's sakes halloween six six yeah six the Paul Rudd um, one. Paul Rudd one. Um, <laughs> also tried a little bit of that in its in its own bottomlessly terrible way. Um, <laughs> there was some. No, there was because there was this whole thing about Michael Myers that it was more of kind of a joke at that point. Like, and you know, you had this like guy who was the, uh, this Howard Stern knockoff who was there, like talking about it, like it's just you know just another fucking thing. But Scream, Scream did it better than anybody, and nobody, no, no other film I think tops it for for using meta commentary, using that meta commentary, and using the self referential tone in a way that doesn't overwhelm the rest of the movie. This is a movie that has every that has several different really interesting parts. You have the pure slasher experience, you have the murder mystery, you have a dark comedy, you have a nasty bit of horror movie violence and then you also have this you set it all in a world where people again have seen these movies and we'll discuss these things as it's going on and i don't think any other movie has ever done it as well as scream and that includes scream 2 i would agree i would agree um there there are a few things that i could say but we're about to cut a whole episode on scream 2 so i'm doing my best to uh, this is like a, an exercise in restraint for me big how far time. did you get through the plot before i just de- derailed you completely because you like to go through the whole plot and i cannot shut up while you do that no it's fine but you know what i think that through our through our little um us trading our talking head pieces i think we've pretty much got got to it because we're we're now we've discussed the party we've discussed you know i think the only thing that's left to discuss really is that final scene and which is one of the funniest and god when Stu's just like crying oh yeah oh, my just, parents are gonna kill me no no, no my parents just, are gonna be so bad at this. yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a, that's yeah that scene. Bravo, with, Matthew Lillard. Fucking serious. Like, well, I mean, holy shit, dude. Well, and like it's the the whole. The whole second half of the movie is the finale. That party starts about an hour. Forty minutes. Yeah, that party starts about an hour into the movie. Hundred and twenty-one days it took to film that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and everybody got T-shirts when it was done. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and and it and it feels like you know Sydney has this this sprint and there's there's the car crash and you know there's. There's there's fake out deaths all over the place. It's it, by the time you get to the kitchen, it's just been this exhausting ordeal, and it's 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 not for it's not at the level of like that Texas Chainsaw Massacre dinner scene. No, but it's you you feel the exhaustion, right? And and you feel like the insanity of Billy and Stu at that point feels really earned. You know, it's like yeah. like Matthew Lillard goes so over the top. He's he's just swallowing pieces of the set whole, not even chewing. <laughs> But it, it works for me, you know. Um, oh, it works! It works brilliantly for me. It's 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 one of those times when it's been built up perfectly, and the execution of of that moment where everything just goes right over the top. Yep. Yeah, and 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 it's enough that I wish somehow we could have had just a little more time with the dynamic between Stu and Billy. Like I do. Yeah, I agree. God, it's fun. God and, damn, that's a fun pair. And I kind of wish that you know Billy Loomis comes up like the like is referenced a lot in the sequels, and he plays a very heavy role in Scream Five. I wish that Stu would have gotten that same reverence. I, I that's yeah. You know, we I really agree. don't get we really and even within the confines of this film we're talking about, you know, we really don't like. Stu is not as fleshed out. To me, he's certainly a more interesting character than Billy, but he's not nearly as fleshed out as Billy. We really don't get a, a, a peek into, you know, why he is going along for the ride other than the fact that he just likes horror films. But nothing in the movie up until this point leads us to believe that he is like a, a horror head in the same vein as Randy. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I think this is a, a near perfect slasher film, near perfect horror movie. And certainly they couldn't have added too much more time to the film without completely ballooning the runtime. But I would have liked to have seen more from Stu. I would have too. I would have too. And I think that's probably one of the only weaknesses of the movie. It's it's like it's a tempting thought for me. But I, I also think that what we get with Billy and Stu leaves us enough to kind of gnaw over. Um, in a way that I really like, like to like fill in the blanks ourselves. You mean? Yeah, exactly. Now, now we get to have these conversations about like they were fucking right, you know, and like it, yeah. it's. <laughs> what is a kid? I didn't quite make that connection as a kid, but there was an intimacy. There's an it, there's, and that's another interesting thing the movie does. Not they only are there the, two killers, but they have a very novel intimacy and they're gonna they're gonna kill each other's girlfriends together and yeah (laughs) Yeah. let me ask you let me ask you this jacob because i know you are like a super fan of the entire franchise well not every single movie in the franchise but well well, right you're you're familiar enough with each entry to where this is a valid question do you because especially with Scream 3 and then Scream 5, there have been a ton of retcons. Do you watch Scream, the first Scream, through the lens of the film as is, or do you take into account some of the things that we know about there's actually a third party involved? Uh, Scream 3 does not work for me at all. Um, 
I'll watch it every few years, but I, I even Parker Posey, I just don't have as much fun with it as I ever think I'm going to. I just don't enjoy it. I don't. I get mad. I get mad at that movie as it goes I, on. I, I know people say look at it as a comedy. I don't think it's that funny. I think it's very it's forced. Um, yeah, it doesn't really make me laugh. Um, I think all of the other movies are funnier than than it. Um, there, there's an but, aggressiveness yeah. about Scream Three that just always just kind of takes me out of it. Yeah, I, think, um, so I, I pretty much disregard that one. Honestly, the the Billy stuff from Scream 5, eh, it, it doesn't bother me. I'm fine believing that he fucked another girl. Um, I That's not far-fetched to me. I'll see how that develops. But, you know, I mostly Scream and Scream 2 exist in their own very safe little bubble for me. And if I ever need to, I can just, like, drop the fire curtain and pretend that everything from after that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> Scream 3 just doesn't work also because they they tried too hard to make it funnier and lean less on the violence. Because you have to realize that this was, like, the first post-Columbine Scream right. film. Oh, and there, yeah. were, there, there was, like, a lot of, like, backlash on, on violence in, in horror movies. And... Gabe, you talk about how like Scream was like the most MTV film of of the '90s. I think they really tried to lean in on that MTV like pop culture bullshit with Scream Three, but and I think it's okay for us to talk about Scream Three for a little bit because we're certainly not going to do an episode on that one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'd, prefer I'd prefer not. Yeah, I, <laughs> no. it would it would just be me making fart noises into the microphone. <laughs> No, we're de- we're definitely covering the two the two best ones. Um, yeah, by and large, and I would I would say that you know if you wanted the complete Scream experience for my money, it's Scream, Scream Two, and Scream Four. But that's just one man's humble opinion. I, I, I think five is I think five is inoffensive and has its moments, um, but it's a movie that I, the jury is just still kind of out for for me until I see what else these guys can do because it's mm-hmm. also not doing a whole lot new. Right. I mean, at this, yeah, at this point, it's just, and I don't have a problem with this, but it's just fan service, and and yeah. you can do with that with what you please. Um, but it's just, it's just fan service. Um, uh, it's there's there's nothing left for these movies to do but be fun. I think there's plenty for these movies to do, and I'm going to touch on that with the Scream Two episode. I'll just briefly state here. Um, I don't think we needed uh, the Nev, or we don't, we didn't need the Sydney Gale Dewey uh, story after Scream Two. I understand why it was no, done I, for Scream Two. No, I, I agree with you, especially because there's just great arcs in Scream Two. I'll talk more about it next episode. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, and uh, I guess we may as well uh, wrap this one up so we can get to get to going on Scream Two here. Do you? Do either of you fellas have anything you want to say about uh, 1996's Scream before we wrap? Yeah, I, I, I'd love to just say um, that. Yeah, this is this is an important one for me. Um, I I wouldn't probably be talking about horror movies today if this one hadn't drawn me into the world of them the way that it did and give me a very accessible point. Um, I think one thing that we didn't necessarily touch on, um, another thing that makes this so easy to watch is that it's nice to look at. It's a good looking movie. Um, yeah. it, it it doesn't have. It doesn't have that cheap sort of underproduced slasher movie feel that I think a lot of people might associate with, you know, lesser loved uh, movies. Um, it's 
it, it looks great. It looks like they spent some money on it. Um, uh, Mark Irwin did the cinematography for it. That's uh, We're talking about a guy who worked on a lot of different stuff, mostly comedy. And so it's interesting that he worked, that he did, um, that he worked on Scream. Um, and that might have something to do with it because there's definitely something, I, for lack of a better word, zippier. Right. No, it's 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 sleek. Um, yeah. it, it it feels modern. It feels like a big leap forward from. I think a lot of the like not to not not as a knock. Um, I enjoy New Nightmare, but I think it still had some kind of '80s holdover slasher aesthetics. It didn't feel like a totally updated '90s modern experience to me. I think Scream feels very very '90s. Um, and it. In, in, like, the most modern sense of the word at the time it came out, you know? Um, I've got nothing. I think I've said, I think we've said it all for Scream. Um, again, it's, it's, it's a movie that I, I don't watch it every year, but I watch it every once in a while. And I, I, it's fun. I, I, it didn't change my life, but I'm glad it exists. And I'm glad it uh, gave horror and slasher movies a shot in the arm at a time when they really needed it. And I'm old enough to remember the the difference in the land uh, not that i thought about these things when i was 10 or 11 but i remember what horror was like in my formative years before scream came out and i remember what horror was like after and well the market you know the market inevitably got saturated with those kinds of movies uh with scream clones and the like that always happens mm-hmm. um there was a good two three year period after the first scream where it was just really really exciting to 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 be a horror fan in the sense that there was just seemed to be so much more going on in the last half of the decade yeah it was exciting as a fan but i think it also became exciting to the artists again it became exciting for young actors you know like stars were made and and established stars wanted to come in and do it and it was it was a moment for all of us it was yeah it was it certainly I, you know, I said it earlier, it revitalized the slasher genre, but also it did create a new generation of, of horror fans, you know, and also in a weird roundabout six degrees of Kevin Bacon way, it kind of gave us Josh Hartnett. And I, I can, I can explain that if you really need. Me. No, that's all right. I'm I, going I, to. I already understand exactly where you're going. <laughs> Nin- 1998 was the year that launched Josh Hartnett into the zeitgeist. And it was two scream I don't want to say knockoffs, but definitely two films that were that wouldn't have been made if Scream wasn't if Scream had never been made, and it was The Faculty and Halloween H two O. We wouldn't have those films. I like Josh. I like Josh Hartnett, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I like Josh Hartnett a lot. Yeah, I like, I like lot Josh Hartnett. <laughs> I'm really hoping he has that you know Travolta and Pulp Fiction career resurgence sometime soon because. If anybody deserves it, it's that guy. He's had a couple of good ones. Um, he's had he's done some good stuff in the last few years, especially um, Penny Dreadful. Yeah, he, was good, he, was he got to do Dreadful. scenes with Ava Green and Timothy Dalton. He's, he's sure pretty did. lucky. But. Yeah, that's the fucking. And he top was in Hollywood Homicide, which is my favorite uh, mid to early two thousands buddy cop movie with Harrison Ford. Oh, that is, and that's an, quite the list. There's a very long list of films. That's a very long list. <laughs> um, those two are great. I, I actually like those two a lot. But um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I uh, the only other thing I wanted to say, because um, I forgot about, uh, I forgot that Wes Craven had did, done a movie in 1995 as well. And uh, that movie was Vampire in Brooklyn. 
Oh um, my god. Oh yeah, Vampire in Brooklyn. That was the bridge <laughs> from New Nightmare to Scream. Yup. And what a bridge it was. What a I, fucking <laughs> Eddie Eddie Murphy killed a dog and I shut it off. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it like a year or two ago and it's you know, there's a good movie buried in there. It just didn't come out. Um all right, yeah, no, I'm I, I I've I, I've got nothing left to say about Scream. It's yeah. it's it's it holds up. It yeah. holds up as entertainment, it holds up as an example of of being able to do a horror movie. You shouldn't try to make a horror movie that everybody's going to like, but sometimes you do, and it's cool. Yeah. Thank you, Scream, for making me a horror fan. Thank you, Scream, for Josh Hartnett. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank you, Scream, for making me realize I am literally Maureen Prescott. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's our show, friends and family. As I always like to say, if you've had half as much fun as we did, then we had twice as much fun as you did. Remember to follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at hounds of horror follow us on facebook at the hounds of horror listen to us on spotify itunes stitcher soundcloud podbean wherever you get your podcasts you can find us send in your questions for our mailbag segment uh we did not do one um we t- probably aren't going to do the mailbag on episodes that we have guests simply because it eats up a chunk a big chunk of time and it's too much to coordinate but by all means, send us our, our, your questions to any of our social media avenues, or you can email us at cinemahounds at gmail.com. It doesn't even have to be questions. You can critique the show, You know, tell us about your day, tell us what your favorite Harrison Ford mid-2000s buddy cop movie was. God, where do I begin? Yeah, yeah, really. With Dwight Yoakam! Dwight Yoakam! Come on! Come on! It's a good movie. It's a good movie. And uh, check out uh, thehoundsofhorror.com uh, for our merch, our merchandise. We have t-shirts. Oh, God, please buy our stuff, please. We got t-shirts, hoodies. We have Hounds of Horror notebooks. Yes. As Gabe mentioned in the last episode, we have Hounds of Horror cock rings. There's so much stuff that you can get. And I, we don't have a Patreon set up. We're not asking for free money. We're not panhandlers. But if you would like to support the show and advertise our brand on your big voluptuous chest then go ahead it's only going to cost you 25 bucks go ahead and check it out for gabriel ricard i'm chris bryant signing off for the hounds of horror godspeed and good night you're absolutely right it is not fair fairness would be to rip your insides out and hang you from a tree so we can expose you for the heartless desensitized little shits that you are